Welcome to Who the Fuck Are Tit Monkeys, the podcast where we chat to interesting people about their favourite song from the titular lads from High Green as well as much more. This week I was joined by Caleb and Kieran from Australian indie rocker Spacey Jen. Each member brought their own respective choice for favourite track, and through which we examined the matter of fact and metaphorical sides to Arctic Monkeys' songwriting. With Kieran being the band's drummer, we also spoke about Matt Helder's style and when he chooses to play simplistically across the band's catalogue. We also touched upon the Richard Iowati film, Submarine, which Alex Turner wrote the soundtrack for. We spoke further on the Britishness of Art and Monkey songwriting, whether Spacey Jane say any of that in their own music, and examined some beautiful songwriting structure choices across a group's catalogue. But before all of that, the band revealed their favourite track from the group's six album discography. Here's me and Spacey Jane talking all things Art and Monkeys. Mine is Pile Driver Waltz. Yeah, mine's Pile Driver Waltz from. Um Oh my god, from Suck It and See. That's what it's from, isn't it? Yeah. Mine's um, mine's Marty Bomb from whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. So why why guys have we gone for these kind of two two tracks? This song it's probably the first Arctic Monkey song that I ever really knew about, heard about. I Kieran and I were in a high school band and before that I was playing with a guy who was the guitarist in that band and him and I were he sort of got me into music and writing and being in a band. But he he learned that song. Well, he learned the lead parts to it, which I think are actually Alex Turner's parts. And then I learned the rhythm bits, and we used to busk it together. And um, I think we ended up covering it, Kieran, in that yeah, band a couple of times. We definitely did, yeah. So it's like quite an early, yeah, quite an early musical memory for me, which I think makes it like, quite special. How about you, Kieran? Yeah, I I really like the movie Submarine, and it's hard to find an Arctic Monkeys song that. You know, I need extra reasons to to love. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm I was pretty obsessed with most of their catalogue when I was a teenager. Past um, when when we started playing these songs, or at least Marty Bum, that was like the beginning of this this years long, um, I guess, membership of the Arctic Monkeys fucking fan club or whatever. <laughs> where yeah, I I, I now like. It, it was honestly really difficult to decide what's the standout favorite, but I've just got this very easy association between, you know, the soundtrack to that that movie, the Richard Iowati movie Submarine, and and Paul Driver Waltz, and sort of all the tracks that he wrote for that film specifically. And then, I don't know, as much as I love the album overall, Suck It and See definitely isn't my favorite AM record. So I don't know. I felt like a bit maybe I'm I'm um I'm choosing something left field, which I always like doing. So. How old were you when you first saw Submarine? Uh, I think I would have been 17 or 18. So it's like the perfect... Ah, uh, yeah, I can relate to this like coming-of-age stuff, you know? It's interesting that you've both gone for tracks that are kind of rooted in your early obsession. Would that be a fair word? With it? But not maybe not obsession, but fandom of the band. Definitely. I mean, for me, they're that kind of like real... They're one of those bands that I was first listened to when I sort of fell in love with music in general, like a sort of became my life in a sense to use that cliche um and so i guess the if that'll be one of those bands i love forever and then that song is uh, to the band what the band is to my sort of musical experience i guess marty bum is very kind of matter of fact songwriting wise which is tends to be how you kind of write as a band whereas pile driver waltz is very much more in the kind of metaphorical wordy kind of flowery stuff that alex turner enjoys going for yeah god it's it's in the kind of later yes. half of the band's catalog looking up the lyrics late last mm. night i'm just realizing how dense it is how like yeah. deliberately obtuse a lot of the the wordplay is like 
it, it's yeah. almost he went really hilarious. hard with that on Sucker and Sue yeah yeah the first few albums were like really really just like very out and out storytelling with a lot of wordplay but then and then Humbug a little bit and Sucker and Sue definitely very um, yeah metaphorical very poetic and then back with AM it was sort of back to that storytelling thing again how although these songs you know we're kind of touching upon them they're being on the opposite ends of the spectrum lyrically how close do you feel they are to each other emotionally and the kind of story that they're trying to convey i i guess what what do you what would you like say marty bombs about because i I'd, I'd, off the top of my head i couldn't tell you to be honest i like this is the thing about and to be honest pile driver Waltz, it feels like a bit of a heartbreak song type thing right but mm. because of how how difficult to I guess understand the lyrics are. I can't like nail down a, a definitive. This is what this is about, but it's it's a it's a feel thing. Yeah, I think Marty Bum's like Marty Bum's a pretty shouty, like angry at your partner song in a lot of ways. Like it's fairly just out and out, like a bit of a fuck you, being grumpy. Um, and I, th- I suppose part of Waltz is like a little bit. It's very poetic. Uh, it's sort of a this is like a weird story about someone that's just been through the ringer emotionally. So I suppose they're like. I mean, they're addressing almost the same thing, essentially, but from two very different perspectives and in different ways, writing style. Oh, it's just so funny how, how different the perspectives are. When you bring that up, it's like, yeah, referencing very similar things, but the tone, the delivery, everything about Marty Bum is so much younger. For lack of a better term, immature. I mean, I think it's... It, obviously, it's an amazing song, and there's nothing immature about the songwriting, but the attitude from which, like, it seems to come from, it's, it's so... So different. Yeah, it seems like he doesn't make in that whole record. He doesn't make a single like, concession to someone else's, uh, you know, feelings or something like that. He just rips into people pretty ruthlessly. I think, which is quite. I like that a lot about it. But then naturally, you can't have that attitude forever. So you see it change throughout the future records a bit. Yeah, it's like an angry young man thing. For sure. God, Riot Van and. <laughs> That song is so good as well. I, yeah, that record as a whole is just amazing. I, I, yeah, I just... It's incredible. I think a lot of the thing, a lot of the appeal for the Arctic Monkeys for me when I was young especially, and even now, is that you see their sort of propulsion into like fame and glory and as a, basically just teenagers and you think, oh yeah, we can do this too, surely, because we're 18, 19, trying to make a career in music back when, you know, we first started. There's a lot of parallels people, I imagine, would like to draw. It's like, yeah, we're a young rock band. We want to do what they did in some capacity. Not necessarily exactly the same musically or anything like that, but it's such a good story mm-hmm. of just this breakout group of really young guys just making it work. Like, Yeah, it feels like a very like pure representation of what they were in at the time and whether or not that's true I guess like I mean I don't know I'm not sure if anyone really knows but it's like you they just tell their story and make it interesting and that's a cool like I think anyone even if you're from you know fucking Newcastle and in, in Sydney in New, New South Wales like no matter what your area is if it, if it, it might seem disinteresting to you but there's a way of making things interesting and like unique for people to listen to it comes down to the specificity. Like, if you look at the album, the kind of references that he's throwing out, quite quintessentially British, but at the same time, by rooting it in that, it allows it to kind of relate. It's always interesting to me, though, that it kind of translates across the, the ocean all the way down in Australia, because it does feel like a very British album. Yeah. Mm. I, think, I think it's got that, like, that sort of otherness to it that makes things attractive the same way that we like to watch movies that are made in Hollywood or, well, you know, anywhere 
can be interesting if it's delivered in a really satisfying way which that album is so 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 well delivered like everything about it I also think that we as like Aussies love like British rock like it's always seems to like it always kicks off pretty well here like the wombats and things like that and I think there's just like a culturally there's a bit of a kinship to um just like English culture and British culture in a lot of ways there's a huge amount of um you know English expats in Australia and that you know, we are obviously a you know a British I guess colony I don't know how, how well, the right way to put that is but there's a it tends to be like a, a similar characteristics in a lot of ways that I think connect well between the two cultures it's interesting you're talking about it being uh, a songwriting influence because when I listened to Pile Driver Waltz in their hand Kieran your choice I remember last time you were on you spoke about how you kind of wanted to simplify your drumming a bit I think like moving forward that you wanted it to be more minimalistic in some respects and that's something that Helders does on that track and he does particularly on that album and the last one as well as across the discography what can you learn from where he chooses to play simplistically I feel like um, even in AM right that which was sort of the it felt like AM was a, a real shift for for the band in terms of like that felt like their breakout record like internationally is that not where they started sort of seeing a lot of success it broke America yeah yeah in the States especially which is that's like that album he plays so minimally as well I think there's something about going from like the chaos and energy of favorite worst nightmare and whatever people say I am and then managing to sort of with age just well not with age I guess the style of the music overall changes as well but just refine it to the point where it's like okay knowing exactly what I want to say with this knowing exactly what the song's doing and trying just to just to service it it's yeah it's he's definitely like a massive inspiration for me in terms of the way I'd like to play and suck it and see is it's funny it's like feels like a pretty middle of the road pop record which must have been surprising for you know fans of the band who wanted something like what they were putting out years before or their first record in particular but it still stands out to me as something that really like has lasted you know there's there's tracks on that album that i know that i'll listen to forever i'll, I'll be like 50 years old and i'll be the, the like it's pink floyd but for me at 50 uh, instead of the dads <laughs> yeah. of now like arctic monkeys will become my version of dad rock is what i'm saying when we're looking there at the kind of the the enjoyable side of that record, you picked Piledriver Waltz, and I think that run that it kicks off where you go Piledriver Waltz, Love is a Laser Quest, and then Suck It and See, and that's where you're wrong. I think for me, I think that's one of the best kind of four-track runs on any of their albums. Mm. That kind of sprint towards the finish line. Just beautiful songwriting, and they're kind of fully capturing that live sound. But it's almost beautiful without trying. Like, it feels like a very laid-back record in some respects. Very loose. I even love Reckless Serenade on in that run as well. It's like, why didn't they put these songs at the start, actually, looking at it now? <laughs> it's the opposite of a front-loaded album. Yeah. Well, it gets rockier to start with, doesn't it? Yeah. And then it kind of gets more softer as it goes on. I find it's so weird that the first three records... Actually, I don't know if Humbug does it the same way, but um, the first two and Suck It and See have these crazy big, like, sort of slow-burn anthems at the end of those... Records like uh, from whatever people say, and it's from the Ritz to the Rubble, and the then Five Five. I'm going back to Five Five. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And then Suck It and See is that's where you're wrong, which they're just like beautiful, like 
big sing-along sort of like stadium rock songs. I really like how they end the albums like that. One of the other things that's interesting we were touching upon, you know, the Britishness of the songwriting earlier on is Alex Turner's Sheffield accent in that he has a very kind of specific dictation and recognisable voice to him, which is something I also see in yourselves in that you have quite a specific way of singing and a very kind of recognisable, distinct voice. At what point did you first start to find your voice as a singer and then how much of that is consciously moulded and how much is just completely natural and organic in the way it comes out? It probably wasn't until sunlight that I felt like I had a bit of a style or something that I could tap into. And when I was doing, when I was, you know, doing takes, I would think about how, like, how I wanted to sing it and what sort of would make it sound more like me. Um, I think I've tried to, I've definitely on that record softened a few of that sort of, that the accent becomes a little bit more Australian in certain parts. I don't want to sing like a real Aussie accent, sort of Courtney Barnett style or anything. But I also wanted to feel a little bit more like it's me I'm not just putting on this accent like the sort of singers that I've heard but uh, uh, Caleb Folliwell actually Kings of Leon singer his style of singing I think is probably one of the big influences for me uh, where he sort of I'm toning it down a little bit on this record and also did it a little bit on Sunlight but there's just this you don't really try and control it you just if you have to get that note you just push through and if it cracks and if it breaks up a little bit that's sort of where you sort of, I guess, indulge that. And something else that he does, Caleb Fowler, is he sort of does this, at the end of phrases, he, he like really drops the vowel off and it's sort of the note like cuts short and dips down a little bit, goes a little bit flat. And it's kind of this almost like sulky, like very, got a bit of attitude to it. Um, and I, I like doing that a lot. I think he sort of influenced that in me. And I remember was our producer, Parco, he sort of encouraged that in me he sort of said it was a bit like Dylan-y um, which I, I guess I hear in some ways but he sort of in, he encouraged that that sort of attitude and that just like softening my accent a little bit not being so Americanized, and, and then also if it felt like if it felt a bit dirty and if it felt like it had, had attitude that was a good call it didn't need to be clean and like perfect one of the tracks I wanted to pick up on that wasn't in your choices but also feels quite an interesting one to talk about is Cornerstone from Hamburg. Yeah, man, since uh, Kieran sent a message about this podcast, I've, that song has been whirring around my head a lot, like every like day or two. And it's weird because I haven't actually listened to it in years, I don't reckon. Yeah, not a lot of Arctic Monkey songs tend to like elicit like real emotional responses out of me, right? Because they're not... like I, That's not to discredit any of the content of the songwriting in that capacity, but like... Damn, dude, that's a that song really actually makes me feel something, which for the most part in the catalogue, it's like I'm just I'm just enjoying it for the the energy. Yeah, it's not pulling an Elliot Smith on you normally until. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I love that track. I fucking love it. That's that's got to be up there as well for me. It would have been, yeah. Well, I was actually talking about it with Paco, um, one of our, our producers today, and he's like, that's when he decided that he he like really really loved Arctic Monkeys he's like after Favourite Worst Nightmare he didn't seem so convinced and then when you know he was listening through and Cornerstone was there just yeah I think the impact of that song it's yeah it feels almost slightly underrated actually but just that album as a whole I remember when I first started listening to that song thinking about how weird some of those lyrics were like I asked her if I could could call her your name like 
it's like there's such, there's like such sadness in that obviously because he misses this person and he thinks he's found her it's like so so sad about it and so desperate to do it so desperate to see her to talk to her that he wants to like put her personality her character her face on her name on someone else but then like the idea that you would ask someone if you, creepy could, too. if you could call them someone else <laughs> call them someone else's name to like make you feel like you're with them again that's bizarre I mean, the reason I picked up on that one is because it reminds me of a song in your debut, one of my favorites, Head Cold, where you do a similar thing where you develop the structure of the chorus as the song goes along in the same way that Turner does, where he changes it in time with the narrative. When did you go from simply listening to music as something that you enjoyed to almost analyzing it in a deeper way like that and being able to pick up on structures like that and kind of use them in your own soundscape and use them to tell your own stories? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing, like, because in, I think, like, like pure pop music you want a chorus to be like really really consistent so that people always have this place to come back to and you use the verses and the bridges to sort of tell a story and change as it as it goes but and yeah, maybe that song was, was one of the first sort of times that i saw that change but there's something really like when you if you can like shock someone with that last chorus and you tell this different story it's quite um arresting i think there's a really amazing wilco song off the oh man summer teeth record it's called she's a jar and he's like telling the story of another person and like the the last lyrics of the first two choruses are uh, she begs me not to miss her and then the final final chorus ends with this like pretty harrowing lyric it's she begs me not to hit her and then it just like finishes the song and it's just like holy shit like you the weight of that lyric at the end of the thing is like oh my god like it really it really knocks you out but yeah i guess like it's probably been it's been a few years of that a couple of years now of that experience of like listening to things and wondering why they did it this way instead of another way i got it's like i always often think about is the fact that someone when i listen to something and go oh like i would have done it this way or oh, it's interesting that they did that that's what's really amazing about like that's why there's so much amazing music around is because no two songwriters in, in most senses would do the same thing and that's why you have this amazing diversity of music and sound. 